holy God, how good you are to us. We ask, Lord God, that today we would be caught and caught up in the flow of your grace to the glory of God. Amen. I'm not a fan of speed bumps. What about you? Caution. Speed bumps ahead. We find them in some of the most inconvenient places. Take the parking lot at Morningstar Bookstore. It's a three-speed bump parking lot. I know you never do things like this, but I confess that I just kind of go around them when there's space, right? Speed bumps. Or maybe you've encountered the speed bump that's over here on, I always have to get myself reconfigured in when we're here, over here on Manchester Street, right by Mount Pleasant School. That one sneaks up on you, and all of a sudden it's right there. Um, I've hit the one on Ledge Street that you, when you're coming down the hill, going really fast on my bike, and then going, oh no, there's that speed bump. And I whack that one because I forget that that's there. Speed bumps, they're really amazingly inconvenient. But they are intended to be inconvenient. They are intended to disrupt our normal pace. Because the goal of a speed bump is not convenience. They don't intend for you to stop, but for you to slow down, to become alert, and to become aware in case you have to stop for the purpose of safety. The Bible should have put in front of Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, a sign that says, caution, speed bumps ahead. Because when I pray the Lord's Prayer, most of it flows pretty nicely until I hit a couple speed bumps. Let's see if you hit them as well. In fact, stand with me, please. And let's look together to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9. I'm going to take it down through verse 15. Let's read together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Next slide. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
I don't know if you caught it. There's not just one speed bump in this passage. There are two speed bumps. And between the speed bumps are these instructions. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Interesting placement of words, it seems. Could it be that Jesus placed these words there because no temptation is easier to fall into than the temptation of unforgiveness? It's interesting to me that as we read what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 about the Lord's Prayer, that the one thing Jesus explains the most about the prayer is forgiveness. He talks more about forgiveness. Speed bump. That was a speed bump. Yeah. Um, I'm going to use a different microphone. It's on my channel. Okay. Let's go back to my channel then, I guess. I think. Okay. Am I back on? This is a service you're never going to forget. All right. Now that's a speed bump. But Jesus sandwiches what he says about forgiveness with these words. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And I just wonder... Is Jesus saying he wants us to proceed with caution? We should pay attention to things that Jesus repeats. Because I wonder if unforgiveness may be one of the most destructive poisons on the soul. Unforgiveness of others and unforgiveness of ourselves. I think what Jesus is doing is he's looking out for the safety of ourselves and others. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, different translations use different terminology. Um, forgive us of our trespasses. Think of a trespass sign and going to where you're not supposed to go. Forgive us. Forgive us our wrongs. Think about the places where we mess up and we go, yep, shouldn't have done that. Think about this translation. The NIV says, forgive us our debts. Think about what debts we incur that we shouldn't have incurred and we have, to, we have to deal with them. All of these words carry great weight in that they're referring to the debt of our sins when Jesus uses them. Forgive us for the extraction that our sins have caused God and others. The extraction. Sins, that's kind of an old-fashioned word, right? Sins, a willful breaking of a known law of God. And just to set some context for our souls, what is the law of God? 
Well, James says it this way. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. So we're talking about the greatest power known to all of creation. Hear that again. The greatest power known to all of creation, which we've sung about this morning. Love. But when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness can be tricky. It can be tricky. And it can be tricky not because of what Jesus said, but because what we've made it to be. Or not made it to be. Um, now complete this religious platitude. And it is a religious platitude. Complete this religious platitude. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. And we say that, and it sounds really spiritual and nice, but here's the truth. That's not forgiveness. Typically, that's denial. And that is not what we have here with Jesus. In fact, Jesus wants us to fully remember in some ways. Matthew 6, 14, other people when they sin against you, he says. Forgive other people when they sin against you. There's a remembrance there. Hang with me. Let's start there. Who has wronged me? Who has hurt me? Who has treated me with ill will? Who has gossiped about me? Who has slandered me? Who has treated me like I'm a utility for their use? Taken advantage of me? Who has betrayed a trust? Who has sinned against me? You see, Jesus doesn't want us to forgive and forget. He wants us to forgive because we remember. If you're using the devotional, Abide With Us Through Lent, you know that today Al Truesdale recounts the story of a woman, Corey Tenboom. For those of you who don't know who Corey Tenboom is, Corey Tenboom was in a concentration camp in World War II in Germany because her and her family advocated and worked to protect Jews from being thrown into prison by Hitler. It's an amazing story. But he recounts the letter that she wrote to, and he doesn't recount this man's name, but the Dutch collaborator with the Nazis was named Jan Vogel, who turned them in. And she says this, Today I learned that most probably you are the one who betrayed me. I went through 10 months of concentration camp. My father died after nine days of imprisonment. My sister died in prison. But then she says, but the harm you planned has turned to good for me by God. I came nearer to him. I have forgiven you everything. God will also forgive you everything if you ask. He loves you. I don't know about you. I don't know if I could do that. Well, I know I can't do that. Hang there with me on that one, too. You see, she forgave out of memory. 
And Al Truesdale asked this penetrating question for me. Is this season of Lent, today's the first Sunday of Lent, is this season of Lent, in this season of Lent, are there unfinished acts of forgiveness you need to complete? But we need to properly understand what forgiveness is and is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not something that has to be, make me feel good. It doesn't take away necessarily even anger or pain. No, it doesn't do that. Forgiveness is not solving all the issues. Forgiveness is pretending something didn't happen. Forgiveness is not reconciliation of everyone and everything. That takes reciprocity. Forgiveness is not minimizing, preventing, or dismissing consequences. Forgiveness is also not allowing oneself to be subject to abuse or control or hurt in the name of forgiveness. That's enabling. It's really important that we understand that in everything I'm talking about today. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is release. Say that with me. Forgiveness is release. What a beautiful word that is. Release. Release from your perceived right to retaliate. Your release from the need to fix the person. Your release from the need to pass judgment against them. Now, hear this. Don't confuse this with judging a situation. Jesus says we need to look at fruit and make a judgment. We're not talking about that when we use the term judgment. We're talking about a role in judgment that's reserved for God alone. So in other words, release, this forgiveness, this release to pass judgment against them is saying, I am not going to take God's role. Dallas Willard said, we forgive someone a wrong they have done for us when we decide that we will not make them suffer for it in any way. I love that. I love that. But that bears clarification too. Because oftentimes we think forgiveness, we then have a job to prevent someone from being hurt by consequences. But the truth is forgiveness does not mean we can or are required to prevent the suffering that comes their way as a result of sin in their life, maybe even against us. Why is it that God allows consequences in our lives? Perhaps, as Willard goes on to say, to help us become the people he wants us to be. So we must have compassion. Yes, we must have compassion. But don't hinder what God wants to do Forgiveness means a release of them and for us, but it does not mean protecting others from consequences that are theirs to bear. It doesn't mean intensifying them either. 
Doesn't mean say, you know, I forgive you, but let me just give it to you now. And, you know, doesn't mean that either. But this is where forgiveness finds freedom. This is so important for us today. You know, we were in pre-service prayer this morning. Bob LeMay, John Martin, and myself, and then Pastor Larry made his way in. And You're welcome to join us 10 o'clock on any given Sunday morning right across the, the hall. And as we were praying, and, and Bob was praying for the service, he made this profound observation, which has become so real. He said, Lord, the last three years, it's just become so obvious that people are unwilling to forgive one another. That's a true statement. That's why this is important. Do you want to be free? Do I want to be free? Release means freedom. Now, here are some of the most liberating words in this Lord's Prayer of ours that Jesus has given to us. Are you ready? These are liberating words. Here they come. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And you hear that, and perhaps you say, time out, Jeff, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't sound liberating, necessarily. It's very easy to misread these words. Some people would read them this way, maybe with a question. So God will withhold his forgiveness from you like a temperamental deity who crosses his arms in a huff? Or when you struggle to forgive someone for a horrible wrong against you, this temperamental God turns his back on you? No. Not this God. Not the God of the Bible. If anyone should have turned their back against those who hurt them and not offer forgiveness, it was Jesus as they were driving nails through his wrists. And yet somehow, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. No, these, these tough words from Jesus on unforgiveness are actually very merciful words. Because this is what they do not teach us. They do not teach us that God shuts off the fountain of forgiveness. That's not what they teach. That's a misreading. But rather, they teach us, they instruct us. Again, remember, Jesus is trying to help us to safety. They teach us to keep our hearts open to the fountain by not allowing unforgiveness to block the flow. That's what they're teaching. Again, my friend Dallas Willard said it. It is not psychologically possible for us to really know God's pity for us and at the same time be hard-hearted towards others. When we nurture our hurt, join me in this thought that I say to myself. When we nurture our hurt, when we feed our disappointments, when we hold on to our resentments, when we keep a record of wrongs against people and they don't meet our standard, we harden our hearts to the grace that God has for us. And I'm sure your mind probably doesn't work in this way, but I have to guard myself here. 
Here's another thing all of this does. It contributes to heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, all kinds of physical ailments when we, when we hold in the poison. And Henry Cloud says it this way. Dr. Henry Cloud, psychologist, says, it churns up fighting chemicals in our body. And we fight against ourselves. Unforgiveness eats us up for lunch. It does me. So what Jesus is saying here is not that God's this petulant God who turns his back and says, oh, you're not going to forgive. I'm closing you off. I'm cutting you off. The song we're going to sing at the end will remind us he doesn't cut us off. But Jesus is trying to prevent us from being closed off from his healing for us. Do I need to open my heart to the healing grace of God by forgiving someone? I'm asking myself that question. You can be invited to ask yourself that question if you need to. Am I robbing myself and others of grace that's already been poured out? Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. But I can't do any of this. I can't. I'm incapable. I'm incapable. I go back to our previous sermon series on the thought life and the idea of just this power of positive thinking. This is none of that. That's, that's, that's a recipe for failure. I can't do this. And you can't either. No matter how good you think you are and no matter how much you think you have the power to do this, you don't. And I don't. We can't do this without help. Remember what we're looking at here. Remember we're reading the Lord's Prayer. Remember those words. We, we pray this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Look at it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not saying my will, my way. We're saying, God, your will be done. Do you realize what this is? This is a prayer. This is a cry for what only God can do. You might know the name Sharonda Coleman Singleton. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. She was gunned down along with 800 people by Dylan Roof, if you remember, 10 years ago this year, right, at the African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina. Now her son was not one of those people who stood up just a few days later and pronounced forgiveness of Dylan Roof. It was a beautiful thing. When you, if you remember the footage, them standing in the courtroom and looking at him just saying, I forgive you. It was powerful. But he didn't do that. He wasn't ready. In fact, it was on a baseball field because her son was a minor league baseball player. It was on a baseball field where he began to sense God helping him with his unforgiveness. Well, Chris Singleton said this about his journey of forgiveness that set him free. 
I never thought I would be able to forgive somebody for murdering my mom. After seeing what happened and the reason why it happened and after seeing how people could forgive, I truly hope that people will see that it wasn't just us saying words. I know for a fact that it was something greater than us. You know, some days, the daily bread we need is not the sourdough toast I'll probably eat later. Some days, the daily bread we need is for God to provide us with the grace to forgive someone that we don't have the grace to forgive them with. And some days, that someone might be yourself. Sometimes that's the most unlikely starting place of all of this. A woman comes to Jesus with her sins. She's kind of following him around. Jesus is having lunch or dinner with a bunch of religious people. It's a potluck in the fellowship hall. And there's one guy who's running the whole thing, right? His name's Simon. He's, he's in charge of potlucks at the church. And this woman's been following Jesus around and she, she comes in the room and the head of the potluck division, also known for our purposes, the Pharisees, He says to himself, you know, if this man was a prophet, he'd know that this is the worst kind of sinner. This woman. He'd know what kind of woman she was. What's he doing? I love the text in Luke 7 because it kind of implies that he's thinking this to himself. <laughs> and the text says that Jesus answered him. I wonder what that did to our potluck guy. Whoa. He answers with a story. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward this woman and said to Simon, Did you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. And she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven 
as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, what caused this woman, what allowed her to show love, the love she showed to Jesus? It was her forgiveness. That's what he's implying. But a lack of a sense of forgiveness and of our own sinfulness limits the room for love. You see, I think the real miracle in this story is that the woman forgave herself. She found forgiveness. And her natural result of forgiveness was loving and caring for and bowing to the one who forgave her. Jesus forgave her because of that. It opened up the reservoir of her heart of grace. Remember what the royal law is that James says in 2.8. Remember, love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to do that when you refuse to welcome forgiveness to your own heart. Lent invites us to come in love and pour out our souls and our sins to God, allowing him to pour out his forgiveness upon us. And my friends, we need that. We need God's mercy, his compassion, and his pity. That is so anti-American to say we need pity, but we do. We need mercy, we do. David wrote, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Without recognizing our own need of forgiveness, our need of God's pity, we won't seek forgiveness. Unless we know it, we won't seek it. It might be that our pride stands in the way. But if our pride stands in the way, I, I, that can't be me. We won't find the release forgiveness offers us. It may be the pain that's just too much. Then we have to open up to God and ask for him to heal. But this is what we need to know. The, the posture towards us by God is one of constant mercy. I love these words. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Thanks be to God. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So this morning, welcome to the compassion of God. It's new today. You got a new batch. Right? We have a new batch of compassion. We have a new batch of mercy. We have a new batch of the welcoming arms of Jesus Christ to embrace us. 
God postures himself towards us with forgiveness. So sometimes the most unlikely starting place of forgiveness is with ourselves. And then we have eyes maybe to see better. The psalmist said, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Take a drink, friends. Jesus is pouring out the living water of forgiveness this morning. I invite you to take a drink. In last night's Lectio 365 devotional, if you're not using Lectio 365, I would invite you to use Lectio 365. It's an app. It's from the 24-7 prayer movement. But Pete Grieg prayed this prayer. Loving Lord Jesus, thank you for giving up everything for me on the cross. I receive again the most precious gift in the world the forgiveness of my sins. Amen. Is there something today, someone, something you need to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Be my Savior. Jesus, I come to drink from this fountain I don't deserve your grace of forgiveness. The stream of forgiveness then from us flows out of the fountain of forgiveness poured into us. So what happens then if I begin to take on God's posture? What happens if the mercy I give is new each morning. It begs the question, what atmosphere then am I living in? What world am I living in? What kingdom am I living in? What is that atmosphere? You see, God, what God does is, by his grace and mercy, he changes the atmosphere conditions of my soul to an atmosphere of forgiveness. Remember what we heard prayed, forgive us our sins as we are forgiven those who sin against us. And as we read and remember Jesus' primary teaching on this prayer, let us pray for forgiveness, yes, but then let us pray for us to live as those forgiven. We are praying an atmospheric prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom right now, the atmosphere of your kingdom in my life, let me live in that atmosphere. But that may be the hardest part, living as someone who has been forgiven. Believing I am someone who is forgiven. So when I find myself reciting these words, I always come down to that section that we've looked at this morning and I ask myself, Lord, may I live as someone forgiven toward myself and towards others. Not easy. So what does it mean? Well, I can't improve upon the Bible. Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And that love binds our hearts together, both personally, individually, and collectively. I've come to this conclusion. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, we are asking for the healing, restoring, redeeming nature of the kingdom of God now. And when we forgive, and I'll add when we receive forgiveness, we become part of his mission of healing the world. Is there anything to be part of more amazing than that? We become part of God's mission in healing the world. So what if this is about making space to give grace to others, not because they deserve it, because they don't, but because of the grace we have received, the immeasurable grace, grace, right? God's unmerited favor to us, what we don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what we do deserve. Again, forgiveness, not excuse-making. Hear it clearly, not denial. Not forgetting or not addressing hard issues because oftentimes hard issues are addressed in forgiveness. Not rationalization about abusive circumstances and situations. Not looking at someone else saying, you know, you need to forgive. That's not how it works. What if... Forgive as we have been forgiven means to live in the fresh atmosphere of grace. I've struggled with how to end this message today. So worship team, why don't you come? I want to tell you a story. I love my dad. Three years ago this Easter, my dad died. Oh, three, two, three. Keep losing sight here. It was a, a year, two years ago, my dad died. It was a year. I'm just tracking back after my dad died that God gave me the grace of our granddaughter, Eloin. It was a redeeming grace. When I left home when I, to join the Navy when I was 19, my father and I were not on speaking terms. And I had no desire to ever go home again. I said to myself, I am not coming back here. He was hard. He was difficult. I never remember my father once as a child or a teenager saying, 
he loved me. My guess is he did in his way, and I learned that later. I learned later how he was 10 years old when his father was taken away. And he was the only man in the house, and the treatment he had contributed to what was going on. I learned later that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And just didn't know that we lived with a man who was struggling with mental health needs. But I built up inside of me this peace that said, I am not going back. We did. I had kids. They had to see grandparents. We did. I, I had a sister who also struggled, and I had to go home to help support them, both when I was in the military, and then I'd become a Christian. And then when I was studying for the ministry, I had to go home. And, and then one time we went home when I was a pastor and in my first congregation, and my dad was being difficult, and I said to him, I am going to pull my family out of this place right now if you don't stop. I knew I heard him. It was a stupid thing to say, but I said it. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. I was a pastor. And we were pastoring this little church up in way upstate New York, a little village called Keysville, and I was laying in bed one night. I had been reading a book entitled Maximize Manhood, believe it or not, but in that book, Edwin Lewis Cole talked about forgiveness. And I laid in bed that night. Kathleen was next to me. My three children were down the hall in this broken down parsonage. I had my hands behind my head and I couldn't sleep and I was staring. And I knew I had to forgive my dad. And I had a conversation with my dad that went something like this. Dad, you were not the dad that I needed. Dad, you were not the dad that I'd hoped for. But dad, I just forgive you. And I release you. I love you and I forgive you. And then I went to sleep. I never told my dad we had that conversation because I didn't need to. And I determined that I was going to love my dad. And some days he was hard to love. But in the last 18 months of his life, when he was suffering terribly, God gave me the gift of relationship with him where we talked about God, Jesus, Psalm 23, the Lord's Prayer. And I found the atmosphere of the kingdom with my dad. But we can't good news is God relentlessly 
pursues us to find forgiveness for our own sins, to bring forgiveness and healing to others. I hope today's word has been a drink from the fountain of God's grace today. I know it's been long. Forgive me for that. <laughs> but let's stand together and let's sing about this God who will tear down every possible wall to come to us, love us. Come today to the God who forgives do you need a place to drink from the grace of forgiveness today? Is there someone you need to forgive today? If there's someone who's hurt you and you need to let them be released to the grace of God, not, not denying anything, but where is it that you need to drink from the forgiveness of God today? As always, this altar is always open. But today, let's speak especially to the altar of our hearts and imagine God running toward us to bring us his grace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us go in the atmosphere of his kingdom. Amen. You're dismissed.